You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Good morning, church. Friends, how are you this morning? This good. It's good to hear. What second Sunday of Epiphany? Um, I am. I am in green now. We're back in ordinary time. Um, the ordinary time is this really green because it's the growing time, and it's always chock full of these really interesting stories in which we get to kind of wander around and be with Jesus and see what He's up to, what He's doing, and we run into things like this wedding at Cana. This is ordinary time stuff right here. It's wonderful. Nothing ordinary about it, but it's certainly the time in which we can spend time with the Lord and grow seeing his ministry. Now, much like the star, this is epiphany still after all, much like the star that appeared out of nowhere, that led the Magi to where Jesus was. Now, Jesus, track with me here, gives us the first of many signs that lead us. For all of you who have ever asked God for a signs, uh, ask God for a sign of his love for you or any kind of sign. Lord, I'll do this. If you just give me a sign, Lord, give me a sign. I've done that before. Be careful with that. If you have, have ever asked for some sort of proof that God, do you exist? Show me yourself that I could believe in you. Well, you're certainly in good company, especially here. Even doubters like us are given signs, even though Really, frankly, we don't deserve God to like prove himself to us. He is. If anything, we've got to like prove ourselves to him, which in his grace, he's like, don't bother with that. I love you. You're good. And so for doubters like us who ask for signs, God gives them freely to us. In fact, even if you're here and you're like, I am not interested in a sign. I don't believe in this stuff or I do believe in it and I don't want a sign because my life is good. Don't, don't mess with things. Even for those people who aren't looking for signs, God gives you signs, puts them in your face. And even later in the liturgy today, we're given a sign of God's great love for us. If you have eyes to see it. This is what Epiphany is all about, friends. Epiphany is all about God revealing himself to us, giving us a sign that leads us to himself and his great love for us. Our passage this morning tells us the first of these signs, of or these miracles in Jesus's ministry. And it was at a wedding party. I love this story. There's so many bits of this that we could just spend some time with and, and enjoy. But if you were to cheat, let's just say we cheated and we like open the book to kind of the last chapter of the signs of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus. If we were to take this as the first and jump to the end of the story and say, well, what was the last? we would see the sign of his cross, his resurrection, his ascension. And somehow in all of these signs, we get a sense that they're connected actually. They're not just disparate little explosions in our face to say, see, how amazing, but they're actually all connected. And certainly for John who wrote this gospel for us, the cross of Christ is always in view. From the beginning of chapter one, the cross is in view for sure. However, even in this story at this wedding in Cana, he makes subtle references saying, no, it really is in view for me. Easter is coming. I have it in mind even now. You notice in the phrase when he begins telling the story, do you know which day this began on? How does he begin telling the story? On the third day, interesting. That should be familiar for us. 
pointing forward to that third day that the Lord would rise from the grave, perhaps in a poetic way. There's other interesting clues about uh, in the story um, about what John is saying, especially when he tells us that the mother of Jesus was there along with the disciples who had also been invited to the party. They were all there together. It gets interesting uh, when the wedding party runs out of booze and everyone says, hold on a second, what now? Crisis mode. Can anyone drive down the specs? No, they didn't have specs back then. <laughs> we have no wine. Shut it down. The party's over. And Mary says, uh, to, it says, we have no wine to Jesus. And Jesus' response is a little touchy, a little dicey. It's not something I would necessarily say to my mother at all. He says to her, woman, what concern is that to you and me? What does this have to do? Why are you coming to me? What does this have to do with me? You ran out of wine. And he doesn't say, well, because I can't do anything about it. He doesn't say, uh, I, I, look, my hands are tied, mother. He doesn't say any of that. He says, as his reasoning, my hour has not yet come. Hmm. Again, pointing forward to something when that hour perhaps would come. His phrase uh, that, that the Lord gave, the, the thing he said to his mother, can be literally translated, woman, what is there to you and me? Interesting. Again, let's jump ahead to this final sign. When that hour has finally come, that Jesus is indicating even at this wedding in Cana, this hour of the Lord is the hour at the cross that he's referring to. My time has not yet come. What is he meaning? Well, that time at the cross that we see in John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27, we see these words to Mary. Again, you find Jesus speaking to his mother, very similar to this wedding situation. But here, the words, woman, what is this to do with you and me? My hour's not yet come, is replaced with, woman, here is your son. That's what it is to you and me. And to the disciple, here's your mother. That's what it is to you and me. The parallels, they keep pouring out of this story. Jesus turning the Jewish purification water, which is a very significant part, the detail of this, turning that ritual purification water into wine. At the cross, he takes the Jewish purification festival of the Passover and turns it into his own offering of his body and blood for the life of the world. Do you see that? It's everywhere. And at the wedding, the best wine is saved for last. And they're like almost complaining about it. Why didn't you bring out the good stuff at the beginning? And at the end, we see at the cross, God has kept the best wine until now for us. Interesting, isn't it? The parallels. And like the wine at the wedding, we now sit at the wedding banquet. It's not just something that's kind of cool and past tense. But now we sit at a wedding banquet, much like that wedding in Cana, preparing to receive the wine that God gives us as a sign to reveal his glory. Why? Why would the Lord give us such good wine? Why would any host give you the best wine that they have? Probably as an expression of some sort of appreciation or love for you. Well, the Lord, not much different, gives you his best wine that you would have the same response as those disciples who received that wine, that they would believe in him, that they would see what he has done as a sign, they would receive that wine and that they would not just say, wow, that's neat, see you next Sunday, but that they would actually believe in him. That's why he gives us this wine. You know that part of the service, it's coming a little later, you'll, you'll recognize it, 
when I turn to you and I, and I announce, behold the Lamb of God. After we have, we have consecrated elements of the table, I'm holding up the bread and the chalice and I say to you, behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sin of the world. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This wedding banquet here points back to Cana and also points forward to that day when Christ and his church will feast together at this great wedding supper of reconciliation when we're made one again. So many images, even in our service, that point to this miracle of Jesus, not only at the wedding of Cana, but also this last sign, the cross that he gives us, which is brought into the present for us in a meal. We get to share in that meal. We get to share in that wine even now. It's not just something we can think about or remember or hide in our heart, but it's something that's given to us. And if you need a sign, you're in luck. It's a visual thing. It's material. You can actually look at it as a sign of God's love for you. But even this meal that we celebrate in the present, it points to that future wedding feast that we would have eyes not to just see this, but to see through that of where God is taking all of history, that he's reconciling all things to himself through Jesus. And at the end game here is Jesus and his church and the heavenly hosts and the entire order of creation, all nations coming to his light. All the wars are over, all the violence has ceased, and we have this wedding banquet with the Lord when all God's promises are fulfilled. Amen, I can't wait, can you imagine? So my invitation to you is at the table. Uh, at the table means, uh, in other words, another way to say this, happy are those who are invited into the rescue of God. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Happy are those who know that they're invited and come and respond to that invitation. And holding up before you a great sign of God's love for you, that you would hear that welcome. You would hear that invitation. And by the way, it is for absolutely every single one of you. When I say, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, it's not like, you know who you are. You've got that secret invitation. No, no, no. This is like a blank check invitation. You're all welcome to come. Would you hear that invitation and would you come? Have you decided? I want to come. I wanna receive and I want to believe. That invitation is for every single person in this room. Well, all those images and the liturgy and even the future, that, that's like really interesting and fun, right? But why does this matter for us even now? Does this matter at all or is this just interesting? I think it actually really matters. No one can see the sign that God gives, listen to this, unless he opens our eyes to see it in the first place. All of this can be laying around in the liturgy. All of this can be laying around in scripture. We can even have this record of the future of this beautiful image of what's to come. But unless God opens our eyes to see the sign and respond to the invitation, we will miss it. No one says on their own, like scripture said, we read in 1 Corinthians, I believe. No one can say that on their own. And no one can say Jesus is Lord unless the spirit of God gives you faith. Some look at the liturgy, the incense, the robes, all these signs, these signals that point to this otherworldly, lavish, over-the-top love of God for us, and they can't see it. Some of us look at the beliefs in the Christian faith, and we see who Jesus is, and we've heard it all, we get it, and we just can't see it. We can't 
believe the way that other people believe and the way that other people see. Still others, they refuse to believe. They refuse, they don't want to see it. For all of those people, may God draw you, may he open your eyes, and may your heart even this morning be softened just a little bit, just cracking open the door saying, Lord, I want to see. If there's something there, give me eyes to see. I want to see it. But unless he opens your eyes, this is all going to be foolishness to you. The robes is just going to be vanity to you. Unless God opens your eyes, you will not see this over-the-top, abundant, self-giving, gracious love of God that is just open arms for everybody, welcoming all to the table of the Lord. So many of us try to do the Christian life without asking God to open our eyes, to help us see. Even us old crusty Christians, you know. We try to go about things kind of on our own terms and we don't realize that we need God's help to, to see these signs that he gives us, to, to realize his love for us. We do so much without asking for God's help. Personally, yo, listen, people. I get tracked off, I, I just, I have like, I think I can do so much. And then it occurs to me like a week later, maybe I should just ask the Lord for some help here. And then I realize he was helping all along, even when I didn't ask. Why would we ever want to live a life like that? Why would we ever want to live without God showing up and us inviting the eyes of faith so that we could see his activity in our lives? We, that's not a way to live. A way to live with God is a way that's paying attention, that's receiving the work that he's already doing. Just noticing, as our bishop has told us, notice around you what's already going on that you don't have to make and go and do just notice what God is up to and receive that. The love of God is too good to live apart from, isn't it? Like the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God. If you don't believe me, maybe you just got to take my word for it right now. But over and over again in my own life, God's grace and his kindness and his mercy, even when I don't ask for it, has come so readily. Life is... Not life without that grace, without that presence of God. That, that grace, that kindness of God, it takes selfish jerks like me, really hardened people, hardened hearts, stubborn folks, and it softens them, that kindness does. It gives me new eyes. It gives me a totally different disposition to treating people with love and kindness, even those who I think maybe don't deserve it or I'm irritated with it. Life with Jesus is a life learning the ways of God's perfect love, seeing his signs and participating with him. So if you're open to that, even just a little bit open to it, to his invitation, he can transform our lives just like he did the water into wine. You don't think it's possible that God could like transform your life? Do you think it's possible that Jesus could transform water into wine? Probably don't. Okay, well, he did anyways, and he can transform your life just the same. And he's not angry with you. He's not coming at you like, I need to change you because you're awful. No, God delights in you. Did you hear the readings? He delights in you. Notice he doesn't say, and God is angry with you. No, it gives this analogy of God like a young man getting to marry the woman of his dreams, the woman of his youth. And people, if there's anybody in this room that knows what that, that's about, that's me. I met Michelle when I was 16. I know it sounds kind of creepy or whatever, but like, whatever. I fell in love with this girl, and as a young man, it was like electric. It was magic. 
I mean, my friends told me you shot your way to your league and like shut up about her already. But I just, I was like a young man leaping around. And that, that is the image, and I get it, that is the image that God is given to us through Isaiah to say, this is how God delights in you, like a young man who just won't shut up about you. He's infatuated with you. He loves you. Like a young man who gets to marry the woman of his youth. This is God's view of you. And his invitation is to you as well. And a life with a God like that, a delight filled, a rejoicing God who loves you, whose, whose motivation to you is joy and not anger, that's a good life. That's the life that we're invited to. But when we're invited to his party, to his wedding feast, the psalmist says, they will feast upon the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of your delights. We got a taste of this at our pub night. That's why we do this. People think, like, can you worship God in a pub drinking beer? Heck yeah, you can. We do, we do it so well. And we get this taste of it, this pub night, singing hymns and drinking blessed beer. We get this glimpse, almost in a sacramental way, of this heavenly joy that we now get to taste and see. We get to enjoy God's presence like a young man who dances over us, who has a banner over us that says love all over it. This is what you get to see even at that pub night. We get to see it even here this morning at the table of the Lord. This is what it looks like when the people of God, the children of God, come to the well of life and drink heavily and deeply from Jesus. Because in him we are filled with God's joy. We're filled with his love. We're filled with his spirit and his renewing presence. Even now, right, right now, we can be filled with the renewing presence of God. We can receive the eyes of faith. We can begin to see people and our circumstances totally differently because God's eyes are given to us. And our motivations, even our internal drives, those things that motivate us and direct us can be transformed into one that's less self-serving and one that looks just like Jesus that is self-giving and serves others. He can transform our imagination to guide our hopes and our plans of things that have yet to come. All of a sudden, what I'm describing here is when folks like us are filled to the brim with this wine from God of his love, gifts begin to explode out of the life of the church for the good of others. That's a real problem for our neighborhood when the church is intoxicated with the love of God. It's disruptive to the status quo and the kind of the humdrum of the neighborhood. We're good. Not so. When the love of God spills into our lives, the church is filled with God's spirit and these gifts start exploding out of the life of the church. Words of wisdom, knowledge, faith, gifts of healing. People are healed. Miracles, prophetic words, discernment, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. We just heard this in our reading. They start to spill out of the church and the lives of the people of God. It gets crazy when the church drinks from one spirit. That is the spirit of the living God. Now pause for a second. Let's just time out. Think about when you come forward to drink from the chalice. Maybe you intinct. I mean you too. That's okay. And there's no judgment there. Think about this. When you come to drink and you receive this blood of Christ, this wine of the life of God, and then you go into the world. Do people mistake you for a people who have just drunk very deeply from the well of God? Do people mistake us for wedding guests who are pouring out of the doors, rambunctious and filled with joy, filled with generosity, 
filled with grace and forgiveness? Do, does the world mistake us for those who had a little too much to drink of the well of life, of the goodness of God? Like those in Acts 2. If you think I'm overblowing it, I'm not. In Acts 2, they had to literally say, look, we're not drunk. We're just filled with the spirit of God. Like it was said. Church, can you imagine what it would look like for us to come and receive this wine of life that Jesus gives of his own blood and then to spill into the world for the sake of others? Could you imagine what would happen in our neighborhood if we did that? If we would only cooperate with God's activity? Or if you're like the disciples, if you would hear Mary's words to you saying, church, just do whatever he says. And he will transform this water into wine. He will transform our lives into the life of God. I have a feeling that um, in this room, there are already things that God has told us to do. He's already given us some new direction, some guidance. And I have a sense that when we come forward together to receive this wine, the Lord will speak again. Maybe if you need to hear it twice because you're stubborn like me, sometimes you need it twice. Friends, would you just this time believe and cooperate with God? That's what it would look to come and truly receive this bread and wine. Not to do all the right things and make sure you do all the, you know, that don't look like you don't know what you're All that aside, if you really verily want to truly receive the presence of Christ, then believe and then cooperate with that presence as it transforms you from the inside out. If I have any prayer for our church for 2019, it sounds like the prayer that we prayed this morning, that having come to drink from the cup of wine, we might shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be made known, worshiped and obeyed to the ends of South Austin, to the ends of Texas, to the ends of the world, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit, O oh God, lives and reigns, one God now and forever, amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.